6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Dr. Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Dr. Missler begins his teaching on the book of 1 Kings, chapters 17 through 19. Well, we are in session 7 of the eight sessions to cover the book of 1 Kings. Well, we'll just jump right in. Now, we're going to get introduced now. We've run in, along the way, we've run, of course, into the kings, we, the main thread that ties together the succession of kings in both the northern and southern kingdom. And we've run into prophets here and there. We're now going to encounter one that comes like a meteor across the sky. A guy by the name of Elijah. A very colorful person. He does a lot of really dramatic things. We'll get to enjoy this uh, fascinating prophet. Um, we'll enjoy his sarcasm and what have you. We'll want to keep your attention on him because it, it, there are two people in the Scripture whose ministries were not finished. One was Moses. He blew it by the rock when he struck the rock when he shouldn't have, and God p- pulled him out of the ball game. The other one is Elijah. Both of them show up at a staff meeting with the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 17, on Mount Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John were privileged to be there. But Peter writes about it in his epistle later, that among the, not only did the Lord get transfigured, but Moses and Elijah were with him. And we get the hint from one of his epistles that what they were discussing was the second coming. And for a number of reasons, I won't detail here, but I'll leave it as an assignment for you to con- kick around if you're interested in that. There are, there are some, and I'm among them, who conjecture or suspect that Moses and Elijah are the two witnesses in, in uh, Revelation chapter 11. There's a number of different views of that passage. I'll leave it to you to do your own homework on that. But let's keep, recognize that uh, uh, Elijah is pretty much the undisputed one of the pair. Whether the other one is Enoch or Moses, people have different views, and I won't get into that here, but I'll just alert you to that possibility. And uh, now, this guy Ahab that we're going to talk, we, talk, we got to talking about before, we're going to talk more about him next few chapters. Among his big mistakes, you know, it's really important who you marry, and Ahab made a big mistake. His wife is considered the most wicked person in the entire Bible. And that's doing something. She not only worshipped Baal, she enforced Baal worship within her domain. And God's response to this was to raise up Elijah. So in a sense, you can consider, some scholars would point to Elijah as sort of a God's uh, you know, counter move, if you will. Now again, just to stand back and get an overall perspective, we have the divided kingdom. First uh, Kings will take us through Jehoshaphat in, among Judah and down through the successor to Ahab, Ahaziah, in uh, First Kings. In the northern kingdom, they go from bad to worse. From about 931 BC, they, in 721 BC, they, after about a little more than two centuries, they get wiped out. 
not just captivity, but they never come out, come out of, come out of that. Judah lasts about another century, about 325 years. They go from bad to worse with a few exceptions. And, uh, uh, we'll talk about that as we get into. But, um, we previously had emphasized the kings. We're going to go, we've gone through, uh, uh, down to, uh, uh, Jehoshaphat, the first kings, uh, we'll go to, and then Ahab. In fact, we're going to, uh, the area we're going to take in chapter 17, 18, 19 is just Jehoshaphat in the southern kingdom and Ahab in the northern kingdom. So, first Kings 17, verse 1, and Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to thy word. Now, (laughs) this this is his weather report. (laughs) As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand. You know, this is sort of a formula phrase with which uh, Elijah announced that there's going to be a discipline upon the land, upon Ahab and Jezebel, upon the whole land. And the punishment that was coming was in the form of a drought. What's interesting about this drought is that it's for, it's three years and six months long. What is mysterious about these three months, three and a half years, is it's not in the Old Testament, it's in the New. Uh, I don't believe, um, well, uh, that when the drought is relieved, I think it mentions it's three years and six months. I'm come, we'll come to that, I've forgotten. But I know the fact that it was announced that way is uh, surprising, but both Jesus and James make reference to it in the New Testament, in Luke 4.25 and in James 5.17. That's by two witnesses. So for some reason, I'm going to suggest to you, I'm going to plant the idea that this three-and-a-half-year drought has significance more than just the incident in the text here. And uh, the fact that Elijah announced the drought, the fact that Elijah is at the transfiguration, and you'll discover when you get to Revelation that one of the powers of the two witnesses is that there are four powers mentioned. Two are unique to Moses, two are unique to Elijah. And uh, the fact that uh, they have their, the, wit- the, witnesses, the two witnesses are protected for three and a half years. So this is one of the many strange confirmations of this, this seven-year period is split into two halves. And uh, it's all through the Scripture in subtle ways and in very explicit ways. But I'll just alert you that as we go. See, the, 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 the people of Israel, the northern kingdom had turned to Baal to consider the God of the weather and so forth. And God is proving to them that Baal doesn't control the weather. God does, because he gives them three and a half. Imagine three and a half years without water in that arid place. Tough stuff. The word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, which is before the Jordan. This guy, Elijah, is a rugged individualist. But uh, God obviously had to train him. He was a, a desert person. He always trains people by taking the desert. He did it to Moses, you may recall. He took Abram out of the Ur of the Chaldees and placed him in the land of rugged terrain and so forth. He did that with John the Baptist. And Paul spent three years in, uh, or excuse me, two full years in the Arabian desert. So Elijah also had been trained this way. As a name means, by the way, Jehovah is my God. Uh, Eliyah. Uh, 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 so um, in contrast, of course, to Baal and so forth. Uh, he lived east of the Jordan River in a place called Gilead, in a community called Tishbe. And uh, 
So he probably heard, he, we assume he probably heard reports of how Jezebel was maneuvering to replace the worship of the Lord with Baal worship. And this gave, God gave him the mission to, to go westward to Samaria, which is the capital of the northern kingdom. He busts in the palace, makes this announcement. Gutsy guy. It's just beginning. This guy is, has, is going to create one of the most dramatic scenes in the scripture in, shortly. Now he could, he, he could make this, uh, this announcement because he knew that, uh, God could, was going to do what he said he's going to do. And this whole drought strikes at the heart of Baalism, if you will, because the, their God was supposed to be the God of the rain. And, uh, they obviously have a problem here. Now, God then tells him to split and get out of there. So, uh, and to go to the, to go to the, uh, brook, Kareth. Verse four, and it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. The fact that the brook has water itself is a miracle. Most many people in counting miracles don't recognize that. It's a drought. And yet he goes to the brook Kareth and gets water. I assume the water wasn't normal because the people are... Don't, <laughs> it's, a, it's a drought. But it's clearly, the supernatural aspect is clear when you say the ravens come and fed him there twice a day. And uh, that's alluded to elsewhere in the scripture too, by the way. But uh, So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and dwelt by the brook Kareth, which is before the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. But it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came on him, saying, Arise, get me to get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Now, he is east of the Jordan by the brook Cherith. He'd gone to Samaria, made his announcement to the king, and got out of there. <laughs> went back and went to the, roughly the same area he came to, uh, drinking by the brook. Now God sends him way up north to Phoenicia, to Sidon. This is outside Israel. And uh, to a widow that's going to sustain him. God always goes... And does the strangest things. He's going to, a widow's got sustenance. The widow's starving, has no food, it would seem. But the widow's going to be the mechanism God's going to use to take care of both of them. So he rose and went to Seraphath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Be interesting to go through the Bible and see how often this is the pattern. Through the Old Testament, there's four or five times in the New Testament, Jesus there's always a woman by the well, give me a drink kind of thing. Anyway, and as she was going to fetch it, he called her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. You can tell that Elijah is Jewish. He's got that chutzpah, you know. He's asking for a drink of water. Oh, by the way, give me a morsel of bread too. And she said, As the Lord, my, as the Lord thy God liveth. Interesting phrase. I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel. And a little oil in the cruise, and behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in to dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. What she's saying is, this, she thinks this is her last meal. She's starving. This is it. This is all she's got. I mean, it's over. By the way, Zarephath is about 80 or 90 miles that he traveled up there to get up this place. A couple of interesting things before we go too much further. The widow recognized Elijah as an Israelite. Thy God, she uses that expression. Um... She also invited a divine curse upon herself because if the words that she uttered were not true, she would have, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, if the words were not true and so forth. And by the way, key, there's a key point here that is missed by many people. She is a Gentile. 
That's very unusual. It's amazing how many people don't notice that. When you get to Luke chapter 4, Jesus starts his ministry by deliberately reading from Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 and 2, which is his mandate for his ministry. He stops at a comma, closes the book, very important issue. That comma is where it goes on to talk about stuff that will happen in the second coming. But there's a whole bunch of things that happen in the first coming. He reads that part of it, closes the book, and tell, announces this day is this word fulfilled in years. Then he goes on to preach a sermon. And you read Luke 4, and you read that sermon. In fact, I should give you that as a sign. Read that sermon and figure out what was it that got them so upset that they tried to throw him off a cliff. That's, that's quite a sermon. That's called moving the people, right? What was it that caused, what got them so upset about his sermon? And he makes reference to this woman. He also makes reference to Naaman, the Syrian general. To make a, he, he, what he, frankly, I'll give you the answer. He, he concatenates a number of miracles in the Old Testament that were sent to the Gentiles, not the Jews. And this is one of them. You want to sort that out and take a look at it, we'll move on. Anyway, she announces that this is her last meal, in effect. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, and go and do as I, as thou hast said. But make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after that, after, make thee and for thy son. So he's saying, Feed me first, and you're going to be okay. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. Wow. She went and did according to the saying of Elijah. She didn't just believe him, she acted on her belief. Belief plus action is faith, isn't it? Believing is not enough. Relying on that belief is what we're talking about. And she did. She and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. So that's uh, <laughs> kind of exciting. Very simple, very important, because you, who is being trained here? Elijah is. She is too, yes. But part of what's going on here is Elijah's faith should be growing here as he begins to realize that uh, it's... Uh, came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. She said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? Wow. Um, we don't know. This is a little later. We know how much longer. But uh, tragedy, of course, is in the household now. Now, some critics say, Well, the boy was just unconscious. But uh, you'll discover uh, subsequent verses make it clear that he had actually died. Now, the woman obviously had a guilty conscience. We don't know what sin it was that she was hiding. She had somehow concluded that God was punishing her, her for, for her sin, for killing her son. And that's a common reaction among many people who don't know God's ways very well when personal tragedy enters their lives. And uh, what sin it was, we don't know. But anyway, uh, Elijah says, said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom. In other words, the, the child apparently was smaller than she was holding him took her out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode. In other words, he was given the attic room. Often the guest room was on the roof. 
adjacent to the, often that was the garden area in, in, in the style of building in those days on a hillside. The, often the, the roof was the patio kind of place. It also it was the guest house, and that's apparently where uh, Elijah was hanging out. So he took him up in the loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. So clearly he, he's praying on the basis he, he, he uh, has died. Now, it's interesting that... Uh, um, often we see in the scripture miraculous healing or, or restoration and often it's a question of putting a hand on someone touching them, whatever that happens uh, uh, in Matthew 8 and elsewhere in this case uh, Elijah felt so concerned that he actually um, placed his whole body in contact with the thing and did this not once, three times and of course uh, the other thing that suggests that persistence in prayer is often re- prerequisite here and it certainly proved effective in this case. That also happens in Matthew 7 and Luke 11 elsewhere. Elijah took the child, brought him down out of the chamber to the house, and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said unto Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. Here this gal, some better part of three and a half years, had him live there. The, the, the food did never, never ran out. Oil didn't never ran out. And still... The restoration of her son is what really, really reached her. An incredible miracle. Um, miracles tend to characterize Elijah. One of your little aside assignments be to list eight, eight miracles of Elijah's ministry. So this, of course, would be uh, one of them. And again, the fact that this miracle is done to a Gentile is a key point in Jesus' first sermon at Capernaum in Luke 4. And I'll let you wrestle with that. We'll move on to chapter 18. Came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. <laughs> Elijah went and showed himself to Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria, and Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of the house. Now, Obadiah was a good guy. Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, apparently. He had great responsibility. He was in charge of the palace, by the way, so he was a senior guy in the court. And uh, apparently... Uh, a great believer in the Lord. This is not the Obadiah that wrote the book of Obadiah. It's a different Obadiah, by the way, so don't get confused. Anyway, for it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. That's going to, that's a, that's sort of a flash forward. It's going to be later on when, uh, 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 that he distinguishes himself as a hero. The writer gives you sort of a forward glimpse here. Anyway, Ahab said to Obadiah, Go into the land and all, unto all the fountains of water and unto all the brooks. Peradventure we may find grass to save horses and mules alive that we lose not all the beasts. So it's, a, it's a drought. We're trying to save the animals. We're trying to find grass somewhere. So he divided the land between the, them to pass through it. Ahab went by one way and by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. And as Obadiah was in the way, behold, Elijah met him. And knew he knew him and fell on his face and said, Art thou that, art thou that my lord Elijah? He said, I am. Go tell thy Lord, <laughs> behold, Elijah is here. <laughs> I like this guy. <laughs> Go tell my Lord, thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, what have I sinned that thou shouldest deliver thy servant in the hand of Ahab to slay me? In other words, Obadiah says, <laughs> if he tells the king, that he announces Elijah, the king's going to kill him. 
Kings had it with Elijah. Uh, and uh, anyway, as Lord thy God liveth, there is no nation or kingdom whither my Lord hath not sent to seek thee. And when they said he is not there, he took an oath of the kingdom and the nation that they found thee not. And now thou sayest, go, tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah's here. This is Obadiah's rebuttal. He's, he's not too excited about this assignment. Now there's another side to this so you understand. Obadiah is concerned that if he announces Elijah to the king and Elijah disappears, then he is going to get cooked. You follow me? And that is not without basis. Because Elijah is going to do that. There's going to be times when he does go. He's going to take a. He's going to ride a chariot in heaven. He's going to disappear without much ceremony here. So, uh, so for some reason, Obadiah is fearful of that. See, when they said he is not not there, he took an oath of the kingdom and nation, and they found thee not. Now thou, now thou sayest, go tell thy lord, and behold, Elijah is here. And it's kind of pass as soon as I am gone from thee, that the spirit of the Lord shall carry thee whither I know not. And so when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find thee, he shall slay me. But I, thy servant, fear the Lord from my youth. Was it not told, my Lord, when I did, when I, when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets, fifty in a cave, and fed them by bread and water? So he's, he's going through his, uh, his, uh, uh, uh resume, if you will, the, the, the positives. And, uh, so, uh, but, um, and now thou sayest, go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here, and he shall slay me. Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, I will surely show myself unto him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. So this is a big meeting. It came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? <laughs> this is Ahab accusing Elijah of being a troublemaker. The truth of the matter, of course, is it's just the other way around, that... Um, that uh, Elijah is the guy that uh, is the is the good guy, and uh, Elijah is going to maintain the initiative. He says in, in, in uh, verse eighteen, he answered, "I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam." In other words, Elijah just goes. It's interesting. He here he, he's dealing with the king of the northern kingdom. He's a powerful character. And in secular sense, he was a very successful king. But he doesn't, Elijah doesn't give him any quarter. He says, I, he says, I'm not the troublemaker, he's saying. I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and has followed Balaam. So he's the, he's the problem. Elijah sets the record straight. By the way, the word Balaam is the plural of Baal, of local idols, idols of Baal. They go by a lot of different names, Baal, Bereth, Baal, Zebub, and so forth. But um, the, 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 uh, the and that's the root cause of all the problems in Israel. Well, he continues. Now, therefore, and send gather to me. Now, Elijah's setting up a situation here. Let's pay attention to this one. Now, therefore, send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal four hundred and fifty, and the prophets of the groves or Ashtoreth, if you will, four hundred. So there's actually 850 of the pagan priests that he's calling up here. These are all that, those that eat at Jezebel's table. See, Jezebel didn't just worship Baal. She enforced it. This was her entourage. This is quite a group. 
So that's Elijah's challenge. And so Ahab sent to all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And we have the setting of one of the most dramatic events in the Scripture. Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long will ye halt between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. The people answered him not a word. Then said Elijah to the people, I, even I, only remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks. And let them choose one bullock for themselves. In other words, you guys get first choice. And cut it in pieces. And lay it on wood and put no fire under. And I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under. And call ye on the name of your gods... And I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, Ah, it is well spoken. And they're ready for this. <laughs> now this is quite a setting, actually. The, the uh, um, Mount Carmel is a range of mountains about 1,740 feet above uh, uh, sea level. It extends about 30 miles uh, southeast from the modern-day Haifa on the shores of the Mediterranean Sea. It's beautiful. So it's around with peaks and valleys and so forth, from which the sea can be easily seen. It's a very beautiful sight for all of us. But the extent of Baal worship can be measured with 450 prophets of the male god and 400 of the female goddess Asherah, Baal's consort. But anyway, they agree on the site. They agree on this challenge. And uh, so it uh, this should give uh, the... Uh, the Mount, by the way, Mount Carmel was regarded by the Phoenicians as the sacred dwelling place of Baal. One reason that Elijah picked Mount Carmel is beautiful, but that's not the reason. It was considered the sacred site of Baal. So Ahab was probably pleased because this would seem like they have an advantage here, at least in their own mind. Of course, Elijah wasn't worrying about that too much. <laughs> how long shall ye halt between two opinions? Or putting more precisely, how long will you go hobbling between the two forks in the road is what it actually means. Um, well, it's calling for a clear decision. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Dr. Chuck Nussler, teaching through the book of 1 Kings. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.